I am statements of Jesus, and we've got the light of the world today, sometimes saved for like an Advent theme or uh, other, other opportunities for us to think about this. But for us tonight, I want us to begin this afternoon, I want us to think about how hard it is to do just about anything in the dark. Have you ever tried to like get dressed in the pitch black darkness? Maybe your roommate, spouse, somebody is like, oh, maybe you forgot to pay the power bill. He's like, I just got to get out. And you end up you know, like successfully getting dressed, but you find out you're wearing two different socks or, you know, you've got your buttons wrong. You know, you've seen those people. Maybe they got dressed in the dark. I don't know. Have you ever tried to eat in the dark? Like how much is the right amount of milk when you're pouring milk into a cereal bowl in the dark? You don't know. Do you put a finger in? Do you just like hold it by, yeah, the finger method? Finger method, anybody? Driving, reading, like we're not as human beings designed to do anything in the dark. It's harder. My middle child, she's 15, she's terrified still to this day of the dark. Anybody afraid of the dark? Like actually just like, I, I knew Pastor Rashad would say that. You guys, by the way, have an amazing pastor. I love this human being. Um, seriously, this man loves God loves to see the kingdom. I don't know a person who is li literally more filled with joy uh, as, as a spiritual discipline and practice, regardless of circumstances. So just, I want to take that opportunity to just, um, honor this man and, and his leadership. So thanks for being that, that person. When Rashad and I worked together in Pittsburgh many decades ago, we had the chance to take a bunch of high school and middle school kids to a camp in the, in the wilderness of Pennsylvania. They have trees, lots of them, and no lights. And the first night, Rashad held my hand for several hours. He was just like holding on to me, like, guy, please don't leave me. And, and you think I'm joking. Am I joking? <laughs> He's like, I need seven flashlights. You don't need any, just one, probably, maybe. He, he, Rashad, raised his hand earlier, are you afraid of the dark? He's afraid of the dark. Kendall, my 15-year-old, is afraid of the dark. She still to this day has to have several um, night lights, and her favorite is this little duck that you press its head and it turns on, and it's called Benson. So Benson is her favorite safety nightlight. I swear, friends, this is so true. 15 years old, she can't sleep without the light on. In one of God's very first creative acts, he spoke the words, let there be light. And there was light. So at the very beginning of the, of the God story, light is created, and God says what about it? He says it's good. God is all about bringing light into the darkness. This is the character and nature of who the Godhead is. And isn't it interesting? Even our text this evening, this afternoon, says that he didn't send an idea. He didn't send us a talk show, a self-help book. He didn't tweet about it. God sent a person to be the light. He sent his son. Jesus. And Jesus steps into this space on this earth, flesh and blood and bone and hair, and he says in John 8, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Jesus, in this text, wants us to know that the king of light is here. And that wherever God is, wherever Jesus shows up, there is light. We don't have to question it because it's who he is. He's shining into dark places and on the faces of people who have been lost and have lost hope and are hurting the oppressed, those who have given up and given in. He's all of those places all at once because he is light. He stepped out of heaven into this darkness, into this brokenness and messiness, into our lives, this great city, 
with this message that he's light and the darkness is not going to overcome. I don't know about you, friends, but in my city, in my life, in my story, and when I look around the world a little bit, there seems to be a handful of moments that feel like they're kind of getting out of control. Like things are slipping past like normalcy, that we're in sort of like some weird twilight zone, or the darkness seems to be winning over and over and over again. This morning in Washington Heights, a neighborhood in Upper Manhattan, a person took a gun out and threatened police, and four police officers, NYPD cops, shot and killed him. The darkness is around us, and that's just one story that, was, that broke before I even woke up this morning. And the darkness feels like it kind of permeates everywhere. And so we need light. And when my oldest was born, Emma, she uh, was given a pink light bright. Raise your hand if you have no idea what I just said. Yes, that's, that was what I was expecting. I actually included a photograph of you, or you could just Google it, uh, in the sermon notes, in the, uh, the slides. So if you click that QR code, you can see one. A light bright is essentially a box, and on the front of it is uh, like a grid of little holes that you put little tiny translucent, different colored pegs into. But the key is, in order for it to work really well, before you start to put the little pegs in it, you, you cover the entire front of the light bright with a sheet of black construction paper. So you turn it on, and no light is coming out. But Emma loved this thing, and, and, and not only was it a light bright, but it was pink, so it was very special to her. And what you would do is you create different patterns, artwork. Instead of drawing, you would put the translucent pegs in, and you would write, I love you, or you'd create a snail, or a ladybug, or whatever it is that you were into, a car or a fire truck, okay, whatever. You would create this thing, and the light would permeate through the translucent pegs, and the black construction paper stays dark, and then you get to see this beautiful image. At first, it looks like the darkness, like it's not working. You have to start breaking through, putting the pegs in to allow the light to come through. The light ultimately is more powerful than the darkness, even in the light bright. Even when all we can see is darkness, God sees an opportunity for light to break through. He's looking for the cracks, for somebody to put a peg in to let the light out. And the darker the dark, the greater the shine. That's how light works. So friends, maybe this afternoon, no matter how dark things look, God knows that there is potential for goodness and beauty and light in your life in the darkest part of the moment and circumstance that you're going through this afternoon. Light is right there waiting to break through. This is who God is. God is about bringing light to darkness. And that's exactly what he does again in the person of Jesus. Jesus brings light to the entire earth. And where does it touch down at first? Where does light enter the world first? It enters a place called Nazareth. Jesus enters the world, and for about 30 years, Jesus kind of shines his light in Nazareth, but he does it in this podunk backwards town and, and area and region called Galilee. It's about a 10-acre plot of land. I've been there. It's not that impressive. It's a population of about a couple hundred people. He doesn't have any public following at this point. For 30 years, he's virtually unknown. For 30 years, the light of the world lives a very ordinary life as a minimum wage handyman. He follows his, his dad around Joseph, spending 90% of his entire life living in obscurity. He's still the light of the world. The potential is there. It's not breaking through yet. It's not yet had the chance to really be made a, a big deal of. He doesn't yet have the attention of the world. And Jesus lives in this obscurity for 30 years. 
the light of the world touches down in a small place that nobody's heard of and nobody wants to go back to named Nazareth. Now, just three miles from Nazareth, if we had at the time I could show you on a map or a picture, Jesus grew up in the shadow of another city, a great city named Sephoris. Sephoris was a, a, an oppressive city. Herod Antipas had actually built it as one of his summer homes. They had all of the best technology and culture available to them at the time. It was 500 acres of land. There were 30,000 people that lived there. They had a temple and a bank and a theater and marble and gold. It was known, Josephus called it, the Ornament of Galilee. Somebody say ornament. The Ornament of Galilee. So Herod builds Sephoris, and he built it on a hill. It's literally on the top of a ridge of this small mountain. And he did that so that no matter where you were in the entire region, you could always see his great city on the hill. You could see Sephoris, especially just three miles away in the valley in Nazareth. And he wanted people to talk about him. He wanted people to see what he could build with his own hands. And he wanted people to remember him. Scholars actually tell us that Sephoris was being built when Jesus was alive as a young man. And so we can speculate that Jesus, being a carpenter with his dad, Joseph, there's a really good chance that Jesus himself would have walked three miles up the hill to Sephoris to actually help to craft some of Herod's great city. Jesus could have been very familiar very comfortable, very known in that space. He knew how little Nazareth was and how big and important Sephoris was. And then at the age of 30, Jesus leaves his home in Nazareth and he begins his public ministry. And he gathers a bunch of ordinary people, folks probably like you and I and others that, that in fact, we would not even consider to be worthy of a dinner invite to our apartment, much less to be part of a world-changing movement. Jesus gathers rejects and and, and, and the forgotten ones. And he, he grabs these guys that weren't honestly even good enough to be rabbis. They flunked out of rabbi school. And he calls all of these guys together to follow him. And he's traveling around and he's announcing that there's a new way to live, that it's possible to get out of the darkness into the light. And before long, a bunch of people start following him and traveling with him and, and, and trying to catch up with him because there's a reputation. They want to meet this rabbi from Nazareth because people are attracted to the light. And then we catch up with Jesus, and he's, he does this thing called the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe you're familiar with it. It's in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And in Matthew chapter 5, the time comes for his very first sermon. And Jesus does something so fascinating here, friends. I'm, I'm blown away by this. He's got all these new followers. People are gathered around for miles and miles. He, they want to see what he's going to say. They're leaning in. I can almost feel their anticipation, Rashad. It's like, what is he going to say? Who is this guy? What's going to happen right now? And Jesus in John 8 says, I am the light of the world. He's declaring it. He's saying, there's no question about it, folks. And yet in Matthew chapter 5, he says something very different. Listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 14. Remember the scene. He's standing on the side of the hill. Sephoris is in the background on the backdrop. There's this natural amphitheater. Thousands of people have gathered around, and they're anticipating what he might say. And then he says this, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. 
Friends, this is mind-boggling if we sit with this for a moment. In Jesus' very first sermon, this upside-down, first-will-be-last, bottom-to-top leader Jesus gives his own title away. Jesus, the God of the universe, in the flesh, says, I am the light of the world. That's our teaching text from John 8. And it's his title, and he's right to hold it. He was there at the beginning when the light was formed. And now he's standing on the side of this hill, and he says, not bow down to me, I'm great. No, he says the exact opposite. He says, you are the light of the world. He gives his own title away. Remember who he's talking to, friends. He's not talking to the professional, the elite, the, 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 the religious class, the Pharisees, the people who passed, you know, uh, the Torah with the flying colors and can say it frontwards and backwards. He's talking to ordinary people, the curious, people that aren't even sure they know what he is and who he is and what he's talking about. Some of these people are showing up with broken pasts and broken promises and, and hopes and dreams. And, and, and Jesus is saying, all right, guys, are you ready? Here's the plan. Here it is. Are you ready for this? You're the plan. You're, you're it. You are the light of the world. And for generations since, Jesus has been saying the same thing. His message hasn't changed. It's what he's saying to you and I right now, sitting here in this space this afternoon. You might be thinking, I'm not the light. Wasco, you have no idea what my weekend has looked like already. This was my, maybe my, my last chance to give God opportunity to show up. You don't know what I've done, the brokenness that I've caused, the pain that's out there in the world, the darkness that I did. It's on me. There's no way I can be the light of the world. But friends, that could be just the lies of the enemy trying to cover you in darkness and keep you hidden in your shame and your guilt. Jesus stands here today and says, I don't care about your darkest moments or your worst mistakes, the biggest things that you've done wrong, because you are still the light of the world. This is the paradoxical beauty of life with God. I was at an event on Friday and had the chance to meet a young man named Jason Sanchez. Jason is a convicted felon and was sentenced to 18 years to life in a maximum security prison. He wasn't eligible for parole until 18 years at least had been served. Every day for the first few years, he was haunted by the terrible crime that he had committed. But he was in college at the time of his offense and sentencing, and he had promised himself this one thing, I will finish school, and I'm not going to allow my incarceration to keep me from it. And so he worked really hard. He did everything he knew to do. And after about 12 years of serving in this maximum security prison, he was awarded the chance to be transferred to a lower level facility. And so he moved to the Fishkill Beacon Correctional Facility in New York, just off the Hudson, about an hour and a half, two hours north of the city. And there he was introduced to somebody who showed him the light. He gave his life to Jesus. He was reminded of growing up Catholic and his faith background. He was reminded of those stories of Jesus, and he's, he gave his life to God. And the second thing that happened is a, is a university called NIAC, now Alliance University, has a collegiate program in the prison. And between 10 and 20 inmates every year get to work on and finish their degree. Jason was introduced to this program, was accepted. His measly 1.6 GPA from his college uh, you know, uh, experience career 12 years earlier didn't count against him. He graduated from Alliance with a 3.9 GPA summa cum laude. And as a result, Jason was awarded parole 
and early release and didn't serve all 18 years, much less life. And the main reason the parole board granted him his freedom back was because he finished this degree. Jason would tell you if he were here that he finished the degree because he didn't allow the shadows to outshine the light. He didn't allow the darkest moments of his story, the worst things he had ever perpetrated on humanity to keep him from his goals, from moving forward and to being the light. And now Jason helps other inmates on their same journey because Jason knows that he's the light of the world. When I think about my darkest moments, the things that I wish I could take back, some of them Rashad knows about. Some of them Rashad may have been there with me. We won't talk about that. That's, a, that's, that's an illustration for another, another environment. N- another time. Thank the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Uh, when I think about those things, I, I, I think about the people that I've hurt. And it's not hard for me to start getting down on myself like any of us. But a friend of mine told me that when we're deep in those moments, that that's actually our opportunity to meet God's grace the most. That our level of meeting God's grace and seeing the light is directly connected to our level of like pain and brokenness. God always reminds me that his light overcomes the shadows from my darkest moments. He places his life and his light over me, in me, and through me. This is what Jesus says. Listen to it again. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Jesus is standing there, and I can imagine that city right there, and Jesus even having that in his mind as he's telling the story, as he's declaring the promise and truth of what it is to be with God. Maybe he even pointed up to the city and said, you can always see that thing, and you know what it stands for. I'm telling you, you stand for even more. What God is building, what I'm building is even bigger. It's more majestic. It's more beautiful. It's more powerful. It will cover the earth. You literally don't even have to be standing on this spot underneath the shadow of the city to be the light of the world. I'm sending you all out. And this moment, this movement is going to light up entire cities. It already has and is going to continue. Our, our actual individual lives, friends, if we take Jesus at his word, if we dare to believe him, is lighting up cities and towns and cafes and classrooms and boardrooms and backyards and apartments and, and subway stations and the tea even when it's not working. Did I get that right? Yes. Local knowledge. All right. This is what Jesus is doing, friends. Jesus says you can't do any of this if you try to hide your light. And so it's one thing for us to consider our faith personal, but don't buy into the lie that it's private because it was never meant to be. There's no such thing as a private faith. He doesn't just tell them to shine, though. He doesn't just give his title away. Notice he also tells them how to shine their light. Verse 16, he says, Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds. See your what? Your good deeds. And then praise your Father in heaven. You can't miss this, friends. Sometimes you might feel like this is a really big thing. Jesus thinks I'm the light of the world? How am I going to do that? Jesus gives you a roadmap. Do good work in the world. I landed at the airport this afternoon and jumped on the shuttle to take me to my rental car, and while I was standing in the front of that shuttle bus, 
the bus had closed. We had made our third stop, not yet to the rental car facility. And this older gentleman with his bags was running in tow. And he was like yelling at the bus and please stop, you know, help me, you know. And the bus is already closed up. And if we were in New York City, I guarantee you, we, the bus driver would have never even noticed that human. Just never. Just We're gone. Doors are closed. Wait for the next one, buddy. You're lost. This guy was so nice. He stopped, opened the door and asked him what he needed. The guy simply had a question. He needed to get to a other terminal. This was the wrong bus he was on. We had already made our last stop, and he said, you know what, it's okay, I'll take you there. I'll drop you off at the corner. I was like, this is, ins- this is a human being driving this bus. That man has a heart. All the terrible things I've heard about Boston, I take it all back. So, <laughs> more Lord, more bus driver anointing Lord. Okay, so. He, he does. We drive up, and the entire bu- everybody on the bus has to wait. He stops at the corner, and this, old, this guy jumps off the bus and goes to Terminal C, and he's on his way. And there were two empl- uh, airport employees in the front standing next to me, and they're like, you were the nicest guy. And they both at the same time said, you did your good deed today. They knew it. Like, we already know. It's like programmed into our, like, consciousness that when we do a nice thing, it's called a good deed. But guess what? It's also how we show the world who Jesus is. It's, it's, it's literally that simple. And when we do these things, we shine like bright stars set against the dark backdrop. When we commit to these kinds of good deeds, knowing that we're the light of the world, showing people what Jesus is like, we're like sticking the translucent little pegs in the, in the light bright. And I don't know if the picture should be of Jesus' face or a cross or love or a dove or what the image is, but we're, whatever it is, <laughs> we're creating a piece of artwork, of tapestry, a mosaic of God's love in the world. One theologian and preacher, D.L. Moody, he said, we are told to let our light shine, and if it does, we won't need to tell anybody that it's on. Lighthouses don't fire cannons to call attention to their shining. They just shine. <laughs> I think there's a couple of cannons that are being let off. Like, look at us. We're Christians. What what if we put the cannons away and we just did a bunch of good deeds? What if we just started letting our light shine? And so, friends, when you comfort those who are hurting, you shine. When you change the question from should I to how can I help, you begin to shine. When you help the busboy clean the table, even though you don't work there, you shine. You put a little translucent peg into the light bright. When you make friends with somebody who's lonely, you shine. When you invite your neighbors over for a meal, you shine. When you see the sink full of its dishes and do them without being asked, Emma, Kendall, and Carter, you shine. Those are my children. When you stand up for the person who's getting gossiped about, you shine. When you stand up for the oppressed or those that don't have a voice, you shine. Can, I, we can keep going. You and I pierce the darkness in the ordinary, everyday moments when we see the people, serve people, share with people, give to people, love on people, you shine. And this is what Jesus is doing. This is what Jesus has been about. This is part of the life of Jesus. The I am statement, I am the light of the world, is turning it on its head saying, actually, you are. We are. A couple weeks ago, I um, was on my way to meet a friend for dinner, and uh, I was running a little late, and on my way, I passed one of our city buses, the M14, and it had stopped, and I, got, I had also gotten a notification on my phone. We have this terrible anxiety-producing app called the Citizen app. Do you have this here? This is awful. I don't know why we do this to ourselves, but it's like, what more could go wrong, and how close am I to it? Oh, there it is. 
So I have that app as well, but I'm, an, I'm a chaplain for the MTA. And so sometimes I get dispatched to these sorts of situations with uh, buses and trains and MTA employees. But in this particular instance, I was just on my way to dinner with a friend. I needed to be somewhere. I was running late. I got the notification and literally passed the bus. And I could see the bus operator sitting there, her hands in her head, just covered in anxiety and pain. And I knew the situation. She had hit a pedestrian. That doesn't normally go well for the pedestrian, in case you were wondering. And so I got on the bus, and I introduced myself, and I sat down next to who I now know is Diana, and Diana is beside herself. She finds out that I'm a chaplain, mostly because I told her I was a chaplain, and she, her countenance immediately began to change. So I was asking her questions. It was actually, I remember this now, it was Easter Sunday, so it wasn't a couple weeks ago. It was Easter Sunday. She was really upset because she had to work on Easter, and she thought she was a bad Christian. She's like, ah, oh, God's not even, I didn't even get to worship. I was like, you know what, there's a lot of different ways to worship, and we're worshiping right now. Let's ask God to bring you peace. So I got to pray for her. And I got ready to get up, and she grabbed my arm. She said, guy, don't leave. Please don't leave. And so I sat there for a few more minutes, and it made me even more late. But that's okay, because my other friend, he's always late, so it doesn't matter. So I'm just getting him back. Goes around, comes around, you know. We're the light of the world. So... I finally was able to get up and leave and go on my way and get her the help that she needs and sort of do my job. And the thing about it is, like, I could have just, like, kept going and not even stopped. I wasn't dispatched, but I sat down. And because I believe Jesus' words are true, I was the light of the world that day to Diana. And you don't have to be an M14, or I'm sorry, an MTA chaplain to do this. You don't need a shield and credentials or what like you literally walk into the spaces where God has already put you imagine there's no better person to be the light of the world than you where God has put you and this is what we get to do every single day yeah the darkness can be overwhelming it's scary we can stub our toe or put too much milk in the cereal bowl or mismatch our socks or whatever but the light is so much stronger friends it's so much more beautiful, and it's ours to give away. And so as we sit here this afternoon, uh, it, it occurs to me that it's possible one of us just hasn't quite reconciled with the light of the world yet. And so maybe your response to this text, this teaching, is, is to actually say yes to a life with Jesus, to begin that process, to take whatever little bit of faith you have and say, yes, I, I want to be a part of this. I need that kind of light in my life. And so I just encourage you to, in your own words, in a couple minutes we're going to sing some songs and conclude our service, but you'll have the opportunity even now to just say in your own words, Lord Jesus, will you save me? I want you to be my light, the light of my life. Maybe for some of us, we've been walking with Jesus for a long time, trying to figure this out. Maybe you would describe it more as stumbling forward. I can resonate with that. But this, the, the fact of the matter is, like, you've reconciled that Jesus is the light of the world, and, and you are light with him, but you feel like you're in a pretty dark season. It's the shadows, the upside down, has sort of taken over for a while. And it would be nice if the fog could clear. And I just wonder, if Jesus is the light of the world, and if he's given that title back to you, I wonder if it's just simply just renewing your hope in that light. Choosing to take those sort of dark moments and thoughts and hold them and examine them and do an audit and say, is this actually true of who I am in the life I'm called to live? And, and exchange those 
negative thoughts and that, that tape that keeps playing over and over in your head and the darkness and sort of set it aside and say, no, I am actually the light of the world. Welcome that light back in. Jesus, help me to see the light, to believe in the light again. It's about renewal. And then I think for all of us that are following Jesus, another way for us to, to make sense of this teaching is to begin to share the light that God has given you exactly where you are that we can put the cannons away, that it doesn't need to be polished or perfect, that we actually just begin doing what Jesus said as the light of the world, and that is to do good deeds, to pray with the Dianas, to invite your neighbors over for lunch, to do something kind for somebody who's sick or who has just lost their job. And literally, it's exhaustive. That's the beautiful sort of upside-down nature of Jesus. Where's their darkness? And what light do you have that you're meant to shine in that space? Let me pray for us. God, thank you that part of who you are, your character and nature is light. And that even the smallest amount of light can permeate the darkness, can shine away on the path, can give direction and a sense of hope. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray for those in this room today that if there's, if there's people who feel lost, who feel like the darkness is overwhelming, is overcoming them, that you would renew their, their hope this evening, that you would give them a new sense of light. Clear the fog away, God. God, for those of us that um, are maybe have never even made a decision to follow you, Lord, I I pray for a brand new sense of, of courage, of faith, to step out, to, to, to say a simple prayer, to begin orienting their lives around you as the light of the world. And God, I pray for every single one of us that we would have the courage to shine your light, our light of love and kindness and forgiveness and peace and joy in the world all around us but help us to start small if that's what it takes but just give us give us small little wins here and there and and build our courage build our hope god build the light of reality in this great city that more and more people would see your light would come to know you in your name we pray